0: I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the heartbreaking case of Kelly Ann Bates. So the case of Kelly Ann Bates is known to be one of the most sadistic murders in the UK. And I need to warn you, it is another heavy one. There are parts of this case that are not easy to listen to whatsoever. And I was very hesitant to cover this case in the first place because it's just that bad. The things that Kelly Ann Bates had to suffer through are some of the worst forms of torture imaginable. And this case took place in Manchester back in the 90s and Kellyanne Bates at the time was just so young. She was only 17 years old. And the evil perpetrator entered Today's case was a man named James Patterson Smith who is possibly one of the worst human beings I have ever come across. Like seriously the things that this man got away with make your skin crawl and your blood boil and there are going to be some graphic descriptions later on in the case so just be prepared for that. The case of Kellyanne Bates it's not easy to listen to however it was an important case for me to bring to you because it's very undercovered but also Kelly was failed in so many ways and today's case is one of the saddest and most tragic cases I've ever come across so let's get into it. So James Patterson Smith, his exact birthday is not known. We do know that he was born in the late 40s though. And he lived and I assume grew up in a place called Gorton, which is just outside of Manchester in the UK. And this is actually where the majority of today's case takes place. Now, something that is just really frustrating is that we don't know anything about James's childhood his upbringing, his life experiences really, we don't know anything. And that is just so frustrating to me because you guys know I like to dive into the backgrounds. I like to see what the hell happened, where did things go wrong? What could possibly have led to this person committing horrific acts? And James Patterson Smith, like I said in the intro, is possibly one of the most evil people I've ever come across. So I am interested to know what the hell happened in his life to possibly explain, even though there is no explaining what he did, but we don't know anything. We don't, which is just infuriating. But we do start to get to know a little bit more about his life when he becomes an adult. So at the age of 22, which was in 1970, James does get married to a woman whose name we do not know. Now, at first, this marriage, this relationship was all great, because that is what James would do. He would start off relationships and he would be really charming. He would be really attentive. He would be perfect. He would lure you in. And then he would show his true colors because James was an incredibly violent man. And oh boy, I mean violent. If there is one thing that you need to be aware of throughout this whole case is that James is like the worst form of abuser ever. He would use anger and violence to belittle people and control people, and that is a huge thing for James. He likes to control people, like he has huge control issues. So during this first marriage, James would be abusive to his wife every single time day. He would be physically violent, he would punch her, he would kick her, he would shove her to the ground and this was every day. Every day his wife had to go through this and after 10 years she was trapped in this relationship for 10 years. So after 10 years of suffering she had enough and she got enough strength to actually leave the relationship. So his marriage was over and thankfully his first wife managed to escape. But did he bother James? Oh no, he just moved on to his next victim. So James is now 32 years old and he enters into a relationship with 20 year old Tina Watson. Now something that is a pattern for James is that the women that he would go after gradually got younger and younger. So obviously he's 32, she's 20, that's 12 years, that's That is a big age difference, but it's nothing concerning, especially given their ages. I mean, 20 is still very young, but it's not like that significant, if you know what I mean, but they get younger. So this next relationship with Tina, she had to suffer through the same things that his first wife did. He would be physically abusive to her every single day. He would beat her, kick her, punch her. Tina has spoken out about this relationship, and she has said that she was, quote, his punching bag. And she suffered through this for two years. Every single day she had to go through this. He would smack her in the face. He would get objects and whack her over the head. He would kick her in her shins. He even one time picked up an ashtray and hit it over her head. But that wasn't all, because there was one time where James tried to drown Tina in the bath. Now, I don't know if he tried to do this to his first wife, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. He definitely likes to drown people in a bath. I will just say that now. So one day, Tina was just in the bath having a bath, relaxing, you know. And James stormed into the bathroom, grabbed her by the throat and shoved her under the water and held her there. And if that wasn't bad enough, during the two-year relationship, Patina did fall pregnant with James's child. And during her pregnancy, James would still continue to beat her every single day. He didn't even care that she was pregnant. He would frequently kick her in between the legs when she's pregnant, and I don't know if um, she actually had the baby. I don't. I don't know. I couldn't really find out. Um, but it's just absolutely horrific. This man is the worst. So that relationship lasted for about two years until Tina finally got the strength to also leave James, thank God. But again, this didn't bother James because he would just move on to his next victim. So James is currently 34 years old after that second relationship ended. And this is when he entered into a relationship, and I can't even believe I'm using that word, um, he entered into a relationship with a 15-year-old girl. See, this is what I'm saying. His victims, the women, the girls that he would go after, they are getting younger every time. And that is no coincidence. Oh, no, no. Because the younger someone is, the more vulnerable they are, the more naive they are, the easier they are to control, manipulate, abuse. And James is 34 at this point, and he's getting into a relationship with a 15 15- year old. And we don't know if the relationship between James and this 15 year old was sexual, Um, but if it was, the age of consent in the UK is 16, so it doesn't even matter if this 15 year old girl consented, this is statutory rape. So this 15 year old girl was a girl called Wendy Motorshead, and she had to suffer through the same abuse that Tina and the wife before her had to suffer through. He would kick her, punch her, beat her, find her objects around the home to smash over her head. He would kick her shins. Again, he also tried to drown Wendy in the bath. Now, we don't know how long this relationship lasted for, but we do know that Wendy managed to escape this relationship when she was 15, so it couldn't have lasted longer than a year, thank God. And it's just crazy that James has been able to get away with this because I know it feels like we've covered so much because we have just gone through two women and a girl who James has entered into a relationship with and has been abusive to them. How is it that he was able to carry out this campaign of abuse that lasted at least 13 years How is it that he was able to get away with this? It's just absolutely horrific that he was able to go through victim after victim doing whatever he wanted and never being held accountable for it. And I know it does feel like I really have just stormed through three women being abused, but we don't know the ins and outs of these relationships. I only know the bare minimum, which I've told you. And it just feels like now, now James should have been stopped. So James is now in his late 30s, and this is another point in his life where we don't really know what he's up to, which is really frustrating. I do know that he is unemployed. We also know that at some point, James moved into a semi-detached two-bedroom house on Furnival Road in Manchester, and this is actually very significant because this house on Furnival Road would eventually become James's house of horrors. So we now skip to 1993, and James is currently 46 years old. And now we get to pretty much where the main events, the main tragic events of today's case takes place. Because when James Patterson Smith was 46 years old, he met 14-year-old Kelly Ann Bates. Kelly Ann Bates was born on the 18th of May 1978, and she grew up in a village called Mottram, which is just outside of Manchester in the UK. Now, it was here where Kelly lived with her two parents, Margaret and Tommy, and her two brothers. Growing up, Kelly was described as a kind, loving, very confident, very independent girl. She was incredibly outgoing and she loved socialising with other people. She was really into sports. She actually played on the hockey team. She just seemed to be the kind of child that would was up for anything. She would get stuck into anything. She always had so much energy. And most notably, Kelly from a very young age was described as mature. Very mature for her age. And obviously I've already said she was very independent. Kelly was always hanging out with older kids like the other kids that were on her hockey team were older. Sometimes they were even adults. She was just used to spending time with adults, with older people. And she was very headstrong. She felt like she was independent and she loved being independent. And she kind of was eager to start being an adult really and because of this she wanted to get a job. Now from a very young age she also knew that she wanted to be a teacher so she decided to get a job as a babysitter which made perfect sense because obviously she wanted to be a teacher and any experience with kids was going to be great. So one day Kelly is babysitting at this person's house and unfortunately this is where she met James Patterson Smith. So when the parents of the children that she was babysitting returned home, they also brought a friend home with them. And that friend was James. And it's just like, what are the chances? Kelly is babysitting and she just so happens to meet the most evil person ever. Now, I just want to remind you all that at this moment, James is 46 years old. And when he spots 14 year old Kelly, he was instantly taken by her. And I think that he pretty much decided right there and then that Kelly would be his next victim. And he wanted to get to know Kelly a little bit more, which honestly, it creeps me out. It does. It does. It's, oh, I mean, I feel like the photo that we do have of him, he just looks like a creep, doesn't he? So after being introduced to Kelly, James immediately strikes up a conversation with Kelly. And I can just imagine it in my head. I can. He's just a creep. And it wasn't long until James offered to walk. Kelly home, which again is just so disgusting because this is what James did. He would be really charming. He would be really flattering. He probably complimented Kelly made her feel confident and good about herself. Because that's what abusers do. They don't show you their true side until they have you under their spell. And Kelly, she has no idea. She is 14. She is very naive. Even though she thinks that she's very independent and very mature, she is still 14. She hasn't got a clue. And to be honest, it doesn't matter your age. No one would have a clue what James Patterson Smith had in mind. So Kelly agrees to be walked home by this evil man. And by the end of the war, when James eventually walks her back to her home, he has managed to convince her to meet up with him again. So following the first meeting and James walking Kelly home, they start to meet up more regularly. James started to turn up outside of the school gates. It's just crazy. And he would turn up every day and he would walk Kelly home from school. Now in Kelly's mind, she probably thinks, oh, this is charming. But James knows exactly what he is doing. He does. He is 46 and she is 14. And again, he is slowly reeling her into his world. And this is grooming. This is 100% grooming. And every time they would meet up or every time he would walk her home from school, he would be a little bit more demanding, a little bit more controlling. He always wanted more. He was always trying to push the boundaries, see how far he could push Kelly, see how much control he had over her. He was trying to spend as much time time as physically possible with Kelly. And this is not in a caring way. This is in a controlling way. And in the end, it wasn't long until Kelly was actually going to James's house and spending a decent amount of time there. Now, there was one very important thing that James would say to Kelly over and over again, and that was, you cannot tell your parents about us. I mean, of course he didn't want her to tell her parents about him because he's 46. He is breaking the law. I don't care what anyone says. He made sure that Kelly kept his dirty little secret. But there was one problem. Kelly was spending a lot of time out of her family home and her parents were starting to think, where the hell are you going? Who the hell are you spending time with? So Kelly had to come up with a cover story to explain why she was out of the house so often. So Kelly decided to tell her parents that she did have a boyfriend, but this was just a boy from her school and his name was Dave Smith, which obviously there is no Dave Smith. She was actually dating a 46 year old James Patterson Smith, but obviously she couldn't tell her parents that. So she let her parents believe that she just had a boyfriend that was the same age as her at school. And this cover actually seemed to work because Kelly's parents truly did believe that Kelly had a 14-year-old boyfriend called Dave Smith, and he was who Kelly was spending all of her time with. And it even got to a point where James was actually phoning up Kelly's house phone and pretending to be the 14-year-old Dave Smith. James would really call up Kelly's home and say, Oh, hi, Margaret. Is Kelly home? Can I speak to Kelly? What is she doing right now? Where is she? And I feel like I just got to pause here because I'm just thinking, how the hell does a 46-year-old man, um, he might be 47 at this point, how does an older man pretend to be a 14 year old boy on the phone. How did he manage to get away with sounding like a 14 year old boy? Like, did he put on like a higher pitched voice? Did he change his voice in any kind of way? I don't know, but he must have done. He must have changed his voice in some kind of way because Margaret and Tommy, Kelly's parents, never suspected that they were actually speaking to a 46, 47 year old man. And also because Kelly's parents thought that he was 14, they didn't think that it was weird that this 14 year, old boy was calling up their home asking where Kelly was. They actually thought that Kelly had found a caring young boyfriend and he was just caring about her, worried about her, wanting to know where she was. And I can just imagine that James was really thrilled that this whole plan was working. James, like I've said, loves having control. And he loved that he had complete control over this situation. And he wanted to keep it this way. He wanted to keep it that he had control over the whole situation because James had had a plan in mind. Because James was well aware around the laws of consent in the UK. He knew that he could only legally be in a relationship with Kelly once she had turned 16. Which, to be honest, it's like, what the hell? Like, no. I mean, yes, technically, legally, he can be in a sexual relationship with Kelly when she's 16. In the UK, the age of consent is 16. And James knew that, and he knew that he needed to bide his time, wait it out. And this is what he did. He forced Kelly to keep the secret about their relationship and pretend that she was in a relationship with a fellow high school boy for two years. So obviously, he met Kelly when she was 14 and he forced her to keep the secret until she was 16. And Kelly, for those two years, was frequently going to James's home. She would quite often stay over, and her parents just thought that she was staying over at her high school boyfriend's home. And her parents, for two years, had no idea that Kelly was actually dating a 46 year old man. And it's probably worth saying at this point, because the relationship between Kelly and James was kept secret for those two years, we actually don't know the details, the ins and outs of what was actually going on. We actually don't know if their relationship was sexual in any way. Like, we just don't know. We also don't know that within those two years, was James physically abusing Kelly? I mean, obviously in James's prior relationships, he has started physically abusing the women very quickly. So I think it's probably safe to assume that he was abusing Kelly physically in some way. But either way, he was grooming her. He was manipulating her. He was moulding her, changing her reality. Coercive control is definitely a play here. Because this is a 14-year-old girl and she is being manipulated into lying to her parents, to staying over at this 46-year-old man's house. It doesn't matter if their relationship was sexual or not. It does not matter. So we are now going to skip forward two years. It is now 1994. Kelly is now 16 years old and James is currently 48 years old. And the moment has finally come for Kelly to reveal her so-called boyfriend. So one day Kelly is just with her parents and she just comes out and says, oh, I want to bring Dave home. Like I want you guys to meet him finally. Now Kelly's parents wanted to meet her boyfriend. So of course they were like, yeah, of course, bring him over. Because Kelly's parents thought that this was a boyfriend that was was the same age as her that she'd had for two years. And this boyfriend would now be 16, the same age as Kelly. So they were looking forward to this. They were like, finally, we get to meet your boyfriend. This will be really nice. So Kelly brings James over. Um, but obviously remember that her parents think that his name is Dave. So Kelly brings James over to the house. Now her parents are not there when Kelly arrives at the home. So Kelly and James spend some time in the home. Kelly shows James around. She's probably showing. James her childhood bedroom, which is just creepy. That gives me the creeps. And it wasn't too long until Kelly's parents returned home. Now Kelly starts walking down the stairs and she's like, hi mum. hi dad, my boyfriend Dave is here. And her parents are stood at the bottom of the stairs and James Dave, starts to make his way down the stairs. Now, they were expecting a 16-year-old boy, but what they saw was a 48-year-old man. They were absolutely shocked to their core. I cannot even imagine what it would have been like to be Kelly's parents in that moment, to see a full-grown-ass man walking down the stairs when you think that your 16-year-old daughter is just dating another 16-year-old. I I just don't know what I would do. Like, I, I don't know. I would probably fly off the handle knowing me. But Kelly's parents are trying to process what is going on. They probably have a million thoughts running through their brain. And James goes up to them and says, hi, I'm Dave. And Kelly's parents instantly blurt out, how old are you? To which James replies, oh, I'm 32. It's like, James, I was about to call him Dave for a second then. It's like, James, that does not make this any better. 32 is still an adult. That is still double Kelly's age. And obviously he wasn't 32 and we only have one picture of him, which is around the time that this case took place. That would have been his mugshot. Please tell me if you think that this man looks 32 years old, because I am sorry he doesn't. He does not pass for 32. Now, I don't know why he said that he was 32. Maybe he thought it would soften the blow, because obviously he is not going to pass as a 16 year old. Maybe he thought by saying that he was 32, Kelly's parents would be okay with it. Maybe he thought that he could pass for 32, which he can't. But I actually had a theory as to why and how he came up with the age 32. Now, this is just a theory of mine. I didn't see it anywhere and it's probably not true. Kelly is 16 and James is 48. That is a 32 year difference and James would be very aware of that number 32 because of their age difference. So I thought maybe that's why he said 32 because that number was in his mind and when Kelly's parents asked him how old are you because that number was in his brain he just said oh I'm 32. Now I don't know that's probably not true but I just tried to think of a reason why he said 32 because he definitely does not look and could not pass for a 32 year old. But Kelly's parents believe, at least I think they did, that he was 32 years old. But even still, this absolutely horrified them. And Kelly's mom, Margaret, has said that in that exact moment, she wanted to run to the kitchen and grab a knife and stab this grown-ass man in the back. And given what this man goes on to do to her daughter, she would actually regret not doing this in that moment. But she kept her cool and Kelly's dad kept his cool as well and James just walked out of the house. So after this initial meeting, Kelly's parents get some time alone with Kelly and they immediately confront her and they say, what are you thinking? What the hell is going on? Who is this man? This man is twice your age. Kelly, you need to stay away from him. But sadly for Margaret and Tommy, Kelly didn't see it like this. She didn't see that this older man was taking a advantage of her. She thought that she knew best in this situation. Kelly expressed to her parents that she wanted to be with Dave and that there was nothing that her parents could do to stop her. And this would just be heartbreaking for any parent to hear. And we don't know Kelly's mindset in all of this, but I think we can safely assume that James has brainwashed her. He has complete control over her. And Kelly probably genuinely believes that James cares about her, probably even loves her. James wants the best for her, so in Kelly's mind, why shouldn't she be with James? She refused, flat out refused, to let her parents stop her from seeing James. And over the next few months, Kelly would disappear for hours on end, if not days, just to be with James. And her parents didn't know what to do because they didn't want to come across too forceful, because they didn't want to push their daughter further into the arms of this abuser. But they also didn't want their daughter around this man. So they were thinking, how are we going to get our daughter away from this disgusting human being? And they initially first thought to themselves, we need to find out more about him. So Margaret and Tommy go around the local town, speak to as many people as they possibly can and start asking... Do you know a 32 year old called Dave Smith? And obviously no one knew who they were talking about because this 32 year old Dave Smith does not exist. And this is exactly why James probably wanted to use a fake name in the first place. And it wasn't long until Kelly's parents actually found out the truth. And I'm not sure exactly how they found out, but they found out eventually that 32 year old Dave Smith does not exist. And he is actually a 48-year-old man called James Patterson Smith. So they find out that he's lying about his name, but more importantly, he's lying about his age. He's not 32, he's actually 48. And this was just one year older than Kelly's own father. And like I said earlier, they didn't know what to do. They didn't want to be too forceful. They didn't want to push Kelly further into his arms and lose her forever. And they had also raised Kelly to be independent, strong-minded. And they were just really hoping that Kelly would come to her senses, that she would wake up and make the decision herself to get away from him. And also there is a reason why James kept their relationship secret until Kelly was 16, because now she is 16, She is at the age of consent in the UK. Right now, there's not really much anyone can do to prevent this relationship. But unfortunately, it's about to get so much worse. So the months roll by and the next significant thing in this case happens because James is now abusing Kelly out in the open for everyone to see. Because before it was behind closed doors. No one knew that there was actual abuse going on. First of all, he was being controlling out in the open. He was letting everyone know that he had full control over Kelly. And it started off by controlling her movements, where she went, etc. He wanted to be with Kelly for every minute of every day. And for the minutes that he wasn't with Kelly, because Kelly at this point is still living at home. For the minutes that he wasn't with Kelly, he wanted to know, where she was, who she was with, and what she was doing. He would phone the house phone constantly to make sure that Kelly was at home and not with anybody else. Kelly had to stay at James's house every single weekend from Friday to Sunday. But then he also started to control her appearance and what she did and the clothes that she wore. He also started to make Kelly bring her dirty laundry to his house so he could wash her dirty clothes. He didn't want anyone else washing her dirty clothes, which gives me the creeps. It's like, why do you want to wash her dirty clothes? What exactly are you doing with her clothes? He was also adamant that he was the only one to buy her toiletries. And it's just all about control, isn't it? Control over everything. And then every Sunday when she went home, James would put Kelly on a bus and he knew down to the minute. And I really do mean he knew down to the minute. He knew exactly how long that bus journey was. And then when Kelly got off the bus, He knew exactly how long it would take for her to walk home to the point where as soon as Kelly would walk through the front door, the house phone would go off and it would be James because he would be phoning to make sure that Kelly had gotten home. And he's just slowly belittling Kelly, chipping away at her personality. She started to dress differently. She used to dress in quite colorful clothes, well now she was dressing all in black and this was just not kelly she never used to wear black before she also stopped taking care of herself she stopped washing she stopped brushing her hair washing her hair she looked physically dirty she wasn't taking care of herself which again was not like kelly her whole demeanor had completely changed as well kelly was a very bubbly girl. And this is James. This is James being the manipulator, the abuser, the groomer. He is pulling Kelly so far under his spell to make sure that she never leaves. This is what abusers do. They completely isolate and control and belittle and chip away at the person to make that person feel vulnerable, isolated, to make that person feel like they could never leave even if they wanted to. And at one point, Kelly actually did decide to leave James, which I think is just so sad because she wanted to leave. Like she wanted to get out and she actually did get out. But as soon as she broke free from James, he stalked her relentlessly. He would not give her a break. He would not let her go. He would not let her move on. And this is where the relationship with Kelly is different to James's relationship to the prior women that he was with, because the other women that he was with, they got out, they left him, and he let them leave. But he won't let Kelly leave. There is something about Kelly that he doesn't want to let go. It wasn't long until Kelly was back under his grip. Even more time passes and Kelly's parents feel absolutely powerless. They feel... Like they're watching their daughter disappear. They could see what James was doing to Kelly and they really wanted to get Kelly away from him. And this is when Margaret, Kelly's mom, decided to give Kelly an ultimatum. She said to Kelly that she can't take this anymore, she can't take seeing this man destroy her daughter. So Margaret said to Kelly, you either live by my rules and you leave James, or you leave. Now, of course, Margaret did not mean this ultimatum. She was really just hoping that it would wake her daughter up, see some sense. But unfortunately, it had the opposite effect because just a few days later, Margaret returned from home and Kelly was up in her bedroom and Kelly was packing her bags. And Margaret was just like, Kelly, what the hell are you doing? I didn't mean the ultimatum. Of course, I don't want you to leave. I was just hoping that it would wake you up. Please don't leave. But the fact that Kelly was packing her bags wasn't actually the biggest problem because Kelly had her back to her mom and all of a sudden Kelly turned around to talk to her mom and her face was covered in bruises. Like I said, James is being very open about his abuse now. He doesn't care because prior to this moment, I think we can all assume that James is physically abusing Kelly, but he would have been abusing her and hitting her, hurting her in places that wouldn't be visible to the public. But now he doesn't care. He has full control over Kelly and he knows it doesn't matter what he does, she is not going to leave. And this was the first time that it was very plain and obvious to Margaret that James was abusing her daughter. Instantly, Margaret said, what the hell has happened to your face? What is going on? and Kelly lied. Of course she did. She said, oh, it's nothing. A group of girls just jumped me. It's nothing. Now, Margaret knew that her daughter was lying. She knew exactly who was behind this, and that was James, the evil, disgusting abuser. And Margaret confronted Kelly about this. She was like, I know it's James. I know what's going on here, but Kelly kept denying it. And after this conversation, Kelly walked out of her bedroom and went to James's house. Now, this was not a one-time incident over over the next few days when Kelly was at home, she kept turning up with different bruises on her body. And it wasn't just bruises now, because one time Kelly turned up at home with bite marks on her. Oh yes, you heard that right, bite marks. He is now biting Kelly. But Kelly flat out denied that it was even a bite mark, even though you could see the dental imprint. She actually said that she had fallen over and she had hurt herself on some wire fencing. Again, she is lying to protect her abuser, which is definitely not uncommon. Again, Margaret wasn't buying the story that she had fallen into a wire fence, and she knew that she had to do something. Something had to be done to help her daughter. So she called up the local domestic violence unit. She even called up social services, and she even called the police. But according to Margaret, they all said the same thing. Because Kelly was 16, there was nothing they could do. Social services could not interfere in the relationship because Kelly was over 16. And also because no one could prove where the bruises and the bite marks came from and Kelly wasn't herself going to come forward and blame James, the police, they couldn't do anything either. And when I heard that, um, it infuriated me. To my core, because I was just like, "What the hell? She is 16. She is a child. Why is no one doing anything?" So I did a bit of digging. I did. I put my lawyer hat on. I'm not a lawyer. Just want to make that clear. But I do have a law degree. But I wanted to do some digging because I'm just not buying this. I'm not buying the fact that just because she's 16, no one can do anything. I'm not buying it. I wanted to see what social services, the police, any kind of authority, what were they obliged to do? What could they have? done. And from what I found, I feel like they could have helped. I feel like they did have an obligation to help. So in the UK, according to the Children's Act of 1989, a child is defined as anyone under the age of 18. So even though the legal age of consent is 16, there is still extra protection given to those that are 16 and 17 because they are legally defined as a child. They are still viewed as children, they are legally children, and therefore they are offered protection because they may still be vulnerable to abusive relationships, and also through my research, I found a really good quote that I want to read out, and it's quite long, so bear with me. It is recognised that 16 and 17 year olds do not have the range of life experience or the same options available as adults. Relationships between 16 and 17 year old children and adults may not be based on equality of knowledge and power. The wider the age gap, the more likely it is that the young person is is disempowered and susceptible to persuasion, intimidation, abuse, or grooming. And that is exactly what has happened here. Kelly is 16 year old. She is still legally a child. Therefore, she is under protection because she is a child. And it is recognized by law that she is vulnerable and susceptible to abusive relationships. And this is what gets me so infuriated. Like I feel like I'm getting emotional here because something could have been done. Because that quote that I just read out pretty much sums the exact situation that Kelly is in. James is abusing his position, his power, his knowledge, his life experiences. Kelly is only 16 years old at this point, she is very vulnerable to grooming, to abuse, to this kind of relationship, to this kind of person. So I believe something could have been done. I'm not buying this whole rhetoric bag because she was 16. That is the age of consent. Nothing could have been done. I'm sorry, but physically abusing somebody is illegal no matter what your age is. But the fact that she is a child, she is under more protection than an adult. And I'm sorry if it feels like I'm getting angry, but I kind of am angry to be honest because something could have been done. Oh god, I feel like I gotta calm down a bit. So a few more months pass and Kelly is now 17, still legally a child, and she's actually just finished high school. She's now studying at college and she's just gotten a part-time job. But Kelly gets a factory job and she tells her parents, Margaret and Tommy, that she has to work really late, so she's probably not going to be at home much. And to be honest, I'm sat here now thinking, did Kelly even get a job? Do we actually know that that is true? And I wouldn't be surprised if Kelly lied about that as well, just so she could spend more time with James. But from this point forward, when Kelly gets the job, she barely returns home. And it was at this point that Kelly's parents decided that they needed to do something to stop this. So they managed to track down James's home address, and they decide to pay James a visit. So when they arrive at James's home, they start banging on the door. They're both ready for a fight, essentially. And James opens the door, and he's all calm. He's charming. I mean, of course he is. He's a master at this. And he sees Margaret and Tommy, and he's like, oh, hi. Margaret. Hi, Tommy. How are you both doing? Come in. Why don't you? Do you want a cup of tea? It's just, oh my God, the nerve of this man, the audacity that he has to invite the parents in for a cup of tea. And this completely throws Margaret and Tommy because they were expecting James to be standoffish, to be aggressive. So Margaret and Tommy go inside and they find their daughter, Kelly, sat on the sofa and she is just even more of a shadow of herself. She sat on the sofa and she's kind of like curled up. She looks scared and nervous and she doesn't look like Kelly. And it was at this point that Margaret and Tommy noticed a very large hole in the middle of the living room in the floor. It literally looked like the floorboards had been ripped up. There was this big hole in the living room. And Margaret said, what's that? Like, why is there a hole in your living room floor? And James just passed it off. He was like, oh, it's just engineers. They're fixing a gas leak, it's nothing. But Margaret and Tommy got this really bad feeling in their gut that he was lying. They had this really bad feeling about this hole in the floor. And you should all remember this because this hole in the floor it does come back up. But anyway, Margaret and Tommy sit down on the sofa and they're pleading with Kelly. They're pleading with her to please come home. But unfortunately, once again, Kelly refused. She had been pulled so tightly into James's grasp that she couldn't see what the reality of her world was. There was nothing that her parents could do or say to change her mind. And as much as Margaret and Tommy wanted to grab Kelly and literally drag her from the house, they knew that they couldn't Because even if they did do that, they knew that Kelly would just go running back to James at the first opportunity. So Margaret and Tommy ended up leaving and they left Kelly at James's house. And then on the 30th of November 1995, Margaret and Tommy got the news that they had been dreading. Kelly was moving out permanently but unfortunately Kelly moving in with James was the worst thing that could have happened to her because we are now unfortunately only a few months away from the tragic events of today's case. So now we get to March of 1996 and Kelly had been living with James for like three four months at this point point. and initially Kelly was allowed to make visits home to visit her parents so every now and then Kelly would pop in and see her parents for for like an hour or two. Kelly was also allowed to speak to her parents on the phone regularly. But by the time we get to March, James completely stopped all of this. He was now no longer allowing Kelly to visit her parents or make phone calls. Again, this is just typical abuser. He is now completely isolating her. So on the 10th of March, that was actually the last time that Margaret ever spoke to her daughter Kelly. A week later on the 17th of March, it was Mother's Day in the UK and Margaret was expecting a visit from her daughter. If not, at least a phone call, but Kelly didn't visit. She didn't phone. Instead, Margaret received a Mother's Day card through the post and when she opened up the card, she realized that the writing inside the card was not Kelly's handwriting. The handwriting inside the Mother's Day card was James's. A week later, on the 24th of March, it was actually Kelly's dad's birthday. Again, Kelly didn't phone, she didn't visit, but a birthday card was sent through the post. And again, the handwriting in the card was not Kelly's it was James's. And this made Kelly's parents panic because they were thinking why is she not writing these cards herself? What is he doing to her? So they call up the police. They tell the police of the possible domestic abuse that is going on in that household and could they keep an eye on the situation? Could they go over and visit? But the police said that they had no motive, no reason, to go over to James's house and search it. It's like, I'm sorry, but parents have phoned you and said that their 17 year old child is in a house with a grown ass man. They suspect there is domestic abuse going on and you don't think that there is motive. I am sorry, but what more motive do you need? If they had gone over, if the police had gone over, if someone had gone over and done something, Maybe the tragic events of today's case wouldn't have taken place because at that very moment behind closed doors, the most unimaginable acts, the most unimaginable torture was happening. And I've got to warn you now, going forward, there is going to be very graphic descriptions of torture of abuse. So back inside James's house, he had basically taken Kelly prisoner at this point. We know that she's not allowed to see anyone, she's not allowed to make any phone calls, and she's not allowed to leave the house. But once James had completely isolated Kelly and taken her as a prisoner, inside his semi-detached two-bedroom house, over the space of the next four to five weeks from the 10th of March to April 16th, 1990 26, James Patterson Smith decided to carry out one of the most sadistic campaigns of abuse and torture the UK has ever seen. So first of all, he needed to make sure that Kelly was unable to escape. He bound her hands, he bound her feet, and every day over those five weeks, Kelly was left tied up. She was either tied to a piece of furniture with a rope around her neck, or she was tied to a radiator by her own hair. On top of being tied up, James would also keep Kelly in the hole in the floor in the middle of the living room. The very hole that Kelly's own parents saw for themselves. Then James decided to withhold food from Kelly, essentially starving her. Now at the beginning of these five weeks of torture, Kelly weighed approximately eight stone And by the end of it, she only weighed five stone. So over those four, five weeks, she lost three stone, which was almost half of her body weight. James also withheld water from Kelly, leaving her extremely dehydrated. And once Kelly was left too weak and exhausted to fight back, that is when James proceeded with a series of horrific physical assaults. It started with the abuse that Kelly unfortunately was used to. It started with James's fists. He started beating Kelly every single day, but beating Kelly with his own fists just wasn't good enough anymore. So he decided to look around the house, for any sharp object really that he could use against kelly he first took knives and forks from the kitchen drawer where he would repeatedly stab kelly all over her body leaving puncture wounds pretty much everywhere he then took a pair of scissors where he repeatedly stabbed kelly on the inside of her mouth. He then took a heavy object, most likely a garden spade, which he used to crush Kelly's hands. She was unable to use her fingers, her hands were completely crushed. He also fractured her arm, as well as kicking in both of her kneecaps, leaving Kelly unable to walk. He then took a hot iron, which he used to scold Kelly on both of her thighs, on her bum, leaving severe burns, causing Kelly unimaginable pain. I mean, can you imagine an iron? and iron being placed on your skin. It was almost like James liked going around the house just to see what else he could use. It's like he got enjoyment from using all of these different instruments, because next he picked up a pair of pruning shears from the garden shed, which he then used to mutilate various Body parts on Kelly, including her ears, her nose, eyebrows, mouth, lips, and her genitalia. And if this wasn't sadistic enough, it's like, oh my God, I cannot believe that these words are leaving my mouth. I really can't. If that wasn't sadistic enough, Kelly was also partially scalped and she was still alive. I feel like I need to stress this. All of this, Kelly was alive. She was living through this. She was suffering. I cannot even imagine. She is being mutilated. Various body parts are basically being chopped off. She has been scalped. She has been burnt with an iron. She has been stabbed with various different objects around the house. But unfortunately, there is just one more injury that has stayed with me. I don't think this will ever leave me. And it's just one of the worst things I think I've ever read another human being doing to somebody else. Because whilst Kelly was still alive, and I really want to stress that Kelly was alive for this, James Patterson Smith gouged out Kelly's eyes using his own hands. How can anybody do that to somebody? Now, it can't be determined exactly when Kelly's eyes were gouged out, because we don't know. But what we do know is that they were gouged out for a minimum of five days, but up to a maximum of three weeks before Kelly died, which means that Kelly could have been living without her eyes for up to three weeks. But to make things even worse, because James was not just satisfied with gouging out her eyes on numerous occasions, because it could be determined from the wounds and how the wounds were healing, etc. So on numerous occasions, James also stabbed Kelly in her empty eye sockets. This poor girl, this poor girl, and she is alive throughout all of this. This man is the epitome of evil. And what's just crazy is that this four to five week ordeal that Kelly was going through was happening inside James's home, which was a semi-detached house on a normal suburban street in Manchester. There are houses everywhere, there are people everywhere, and it's just crazy to me that no one heard what was going on. There is literally another house attached to James's house. And you're telling me that those neighbors did not hear a single thing. I mean, I'm not blaming the neighbors here because maybe they didn't. Maybe James had Kelly gagged in some kind of way to muffle the sound and maybe they didn't hear. But it's just crazy to me that he did this in just a normal house on a normal street. And Kelly fought so hard. She really did. She fought for five weeks against this abuse and torture. She survived through so much. She survived through things that the human body should never be put through. And I really wish that things had ended differently for Kelly. I really do. Um, But James only had one thing on his mind, and that was that he wanted to murder Kelly. So sometime around the 16th of April 1996, we actually don't know the exact date, but James Patterson Smith dragged Kelly up to the bathroom he ran a bath. He then beat her repeatedly with a shower head, and then he held Kelly's head underneath the water until she very tragically drowned and lost her life. This case being labelled one of the most sadistic murders in the UK, I think is very justified. And just to think about Kelly, In that hole in the middle of the living room. And we don't know what that hole looks like, but I feel like we can all imagine what it looked like. It was a hole in the ground. And just the fact that she could have possibly been without her eyesight for three weeks just adds another level of psychological torture. It wasn't just physical torture, it was psychological. The fact that she was kept in this hole, the fact that he was depriving her of her senses, there is a special place in hell waiting for James Patterson Smith. And something that I found surprising, and I hate that I actually did find it surprising, is that there was no evidence of sexual assault. But there was nothing publicly, there was nothing on the autopsy, there was nothing that I could find that would suggest that James also sexually assaulted Kelly. Because I don't know about any of you guys, but I was expecting sexual assault and I was really surprised when I found on. I don't know if it was me just jumping to conclusions, but just the elements of this case, the fact that there was grooming, there was a power imbalance, there was this older man with this child, normally your mind does go to, oh okay, they're sexually motivated. There was no evidence, at least I couldn't see any evidence that there was any kind of sexual assault, so it leaves you thinking... What was his motive? Was it literally just power and control to have complete power over somebody? Like, why was he even doing this? I don't get it. What was it about Kelly as well? Because obviously James has abused many women in his past, but he let all of them go. Like, if they left, he let them leave and he just moved on to the next one. But what was it about Kelly? Why did it escalate to murder? So on the 16th of April, 1996, James now has Kelly's body in his home and he's thinking to himself, how is he going to get away with this? And this is when James thinks that he can outsmart everyone and he walks himself down to the local police station. Aha, uh-huh, you heard that right, he's handing himself in, but not quite. So he walks into his local police station and he goes to the officer that is on duty and he tells him that his girlfriend has drowned in the bath. And it's like, what the hell is going through his mind? Did he really think that after torturing Kelly for five weeks that he could just walk into a police station and try to pass this off as an accident? Just the arrogance on this man is on another level. So the police take down his statement and they accompany James back to his home. And this is when they find Kelly. She's actually been moved from the bathroom. She is in James' Bedroom, and they find Kelly's lifeless body underneath a blanket. And when they remove the blanket, Kelly is naked. I just can't even imagine what her body would have looked like. I mean, we have just gone through all of the torture that she went through. She had no eyes in her eye sockets. She was partially scalped. She had burn marks all over her body. She had stab wounds all over her body. She was beaten and bruised. I think I can say this for certain, but that would have been the worst murder scene those officers have ever seen. And thankfully, James was not fooling anyone that this was just an accidental drowning in the bath. And James Patterson Smith was immediately arrested and charged with murder. And then, after James was arrested, the next thing to do was inform the family of Kelly's murder. And when Margaret and Tommy had heard about what had happened to their daughter, they were absolutely devastated. They couldn't believe that their daughter had been murdered. Their worst fear had come true. But not only had she been murdered, but she had been tortured for five weeks. That just made everything a million times worse. And every day, still to this day, they regret not doing more to get Kelly out of that situation. Over a year later in November of 1997, the case finally went to trial in Manchester Crown Court. And even after all of the evidence and just everything that had happened, James Patterson Smith had the audacity to plead not guilty. During the trial, James actually started to say as his defense that Kelly was actually asking him to do all of those horrific things to her. Therefore, he can't be held accountable Kelly wanted it. I'm sorry, but that defense is not going to fly. Pretty much all of those injuries were GBH with intent and you can't consent to that. Also, he said Kelly had a really bad habit of making her injuries look worse. He also started to come out with nonsense that Kelly would wind him up and that she used to tease him about his dead mother. I'm sorry, can we stick to one defense? Is Kelly asking for it? Did she wind you up? Or was it retaliation? He can't stick to one story. And thankfully, everyone could see through this and the prosecution were not going to let him get away with it. During the trial, the prosecution called on many witnesses. They actually called on the women that we heard about in the beginning of this story, the women that James abused before Kelly. And these women gave their accounts of what James was like, his character and their experience. The abusive, manipulative, and controlling relationship between Kelly and James was also portrayed. And finally, the injuries on Kelly's body were what painted the story of what happened. The jury heard about the horrific torture that Kelly was put through for five weeks, and the jury had to see pictures of of the injuries on Kelly's body. And these pictures, the whole trial, everything was so horrific and traumatizing that it was the first time ever at Manchester Crown Court that every single jury member was offered and accepted counseling after the trial. The prosecution then went on to say, quote, it was if he deliberately disfigured her, causing her the utmost pain, distress, and degrading. The injuries were not the result of a sudden eruption of violence. They must have been caused over a long period and were so extensive and so terrible that the defendant must have deliberately and systematically tortured the girl. And finally, once the prosecution rested their case, it was no doubt in any of the jury's mind that James Patterson Smith was guilty of murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 20 years. And that was the case of Kelly Ann Bates, who lost her life in possibly one of the worst ways imaginable, which obviously led the case being known as one of the most sadistic murders in UK history. And like I said in the beginning, it is very similar to the case of Suzanne Kappa. You can't compare the two. They are both equally horrific. And I am just left with so many questions at the end of today's case. Just why? That is the biggest question. Why? Why did this have to happen? Why did James even do this? But more importantly, why wasn't more done to protect Kelly? I obviously touched on this during the case and I did get a little angry, but social services and the police could have intervened. And infuriatingly, throughout the whole trial, throughout everything, James has never said anything. He has never given a reason. He has never apologized. He's never really even acknowledged what he did. So I am left with so many questions after this case, which unfortunately, I don't think me or anybody, but more importantly, I don't think Kelly's family will ever get the answers that they deserve. But thankfully, he was caught and he is in prison for his crimes. Now, he was only given a minimum of 20 years, and it has been 20 years since he was sentenced. But there are no reports that he has been released from prison and I feel like I would have seen something, like I did try and find out, so as far as I'm aware he is still in prison, thankfully, and truly I hope that he never gets released. And I do want to end reflecting on Kellyanne Bates and her life that was taken from her by an evil man. Kellyanne Bates was described as a caring, loving young girl who was friendly, outgoing, headstrong and independent She loved spending time playing sports, socializing with friends, and she had dreams of one day becoming a teacher because she loved looking after young children. On the 17th of May 1996, one day before her 18th birthday, Kelly's funeral took place where hundreds of people from the local town attended before she was then laid to rest in a location with an incredible view overlooking the Peak District. Kelly still had her whole life ahead of her. It was taken from her far too soon and she was only 17 years old. Kelly should be alive today. She would actually be 44 right now. I wish that she was still here. I wish that she was able to fulfill her dreams of becoming a teacher. And my heart really does go out to Kelly's family, everyone that knew her, because she should still be here. And that brings us to the end of the episode on Kelly and Bates, which was just absolutely horrific. And I do have an update on today's case. When I originally recorded this, I said that I wasn't sure if James Patterson Smith was still in prison or not. Well, recent news reports earlier this year have confirmed that he is definitely still behind bars. Thank God that is where he deserves to be. And also he was recently denied a chance at parole with the parole board saying that he is just too dangerous. And also he will continue to be held in a high security prison in isolation because he is also too dangerous to move to an open prison. That is how dangerous James Patterson Smith is. So I am very glad that I am able to confirm that James Patterson Smith, who is now 74 years old, will most likely spend the rest of his life locked up. So that is definitely some good news that he is not out and about on the streets. Thank God he is still in prison and thank you so much everyone for listening today. I'm really sorry that I brought you that case today because it is a very heartbreaking case but I'm sure you'll agree that it was a very important one for me to bring to you because Kelly's story needs to be heard. We need to know Kelly and her name but if you have been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Maker. And if you enjoy the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. Special thanks to my producers at Audioboom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.